Afternoon, everyone. Michael, we'll start with uh, our data slide. These are the key indicators uh, today. And uh, sadly, we have a shockingly high number of cases, 4,961. This is an all-time high. And to put this in perspective, about a month ago, about four weeks ago, uh, that number was about 1,000. So now it is five-fold up and seemingly continues to go up uh, all the time. So if you look at the deaths, uh, sadly, 33 deaths, uh, that's a higher rate than we've seen. Uh, 2020 was the 21-day average. New hospitalizations, and we'll talk about this in a moment, 214, again, higher than the 21-day average. And ICU admissions, 23, which is about what we have been averaging. Uh, let's go to the slide in regard to cases. This is cases per 100,000 in the last two weeks. Uh, we've used this slide now for several months. And what has changed, um, we've seen the blue now creep across now into every county. So the CDC has high incidence. Um, and what we are showing there is now that every county in the state of Ohio is a high incidence county. So it is everywhere. Uh, can't hide from it. We can't run from it. We got to face it and we have to deal with it. So no matter where you live in the state of Ohio, you now have high incidence. Sadly, you now have high incidence of COVID in your county. Michael, let's look at the next slide. Uh, this is the, the top uh, 20 counties ranked by highest occurrence, the high incidence counties. Uh, if you are in one of these counties, uh, your numbers are phenomenally high, uh, you know, very dangerous spread, certainly in, in these counties, uh, starting with Putnam, Mercer, Auglaize, Holmes, Paulding, Noble, Defiance, and on, on down through those counties. Uh, Michael, let's go to the next slide. Let's talk for a moment about hospitals um, and what's happening, because like, we get questions about that. We continue to see increases uh, in the number of COVID-19 patients hospitalized in the ICU unit and on the ventilators. Uh, today, we have a record number of patients hospitalized. Um, 2,075 patients today um, is a 55% increase in hospitalized patients compared to two weeks ago. Again, 2,075 current patients today, and that is a 55% increase in hospitalized patients compared to two weeks ago. Uh, we have a record number uh, in the ICU. That's 541, our previous high was 5.33 in April. So you can see it from this chart. This chart goes back um, not too long ago, a few days ago. And uh, you can see what it just continues, uh, sadly, to, to, to go up. Um, let me now go to um, the daily new hospitalizations, the seven-day average 
Um, we'll look at this slide. And, and this gives it from a historical point of view. This goes back to March. So you'll see over here, when we started out with hospitalizations, you saw a very, very, very fast increase going up. Uh, you're seeing not quite as fast here, but it is going up at a very, very, very high rate. Um, and this is much faster than, you know, we've seen it since the beginning. Uh, this is the incomplete data over here. And again, it's not, this is not filled in yet. But if it continues like it's been going here, it will fill in and continue at that high, unfortunately, at that high rate. Um, Michael, let's go to the uh, cases uh, versus the testing. You know, one question we frequently get is, are cases increasing simply because we have increased our testing? And we have increased our testing. Um, and it's true that we've been successful increasing our testing capacity during the past several months. Um, better testing helps us to detect and measure the spread of the virus in Ohio. Without testing, we would certainly be flying blind, and we have always wanted more testing, and so we've got it up significantly. However, cases have also increased significantly in the past several weeks. In fact, our case data has increased at a much higher rate than our, our testing has. So take a look at this chart. So you can see from this chart, since September 24th, total number of tests has increased about 44%. So this is the number, again, September 24th to the present, or actually till, till November 3rd. Uh, so total testing has increased 44%. We're happy with that. We, we want to continue to see that go up. But if you look at the increased percentage of cases, during that same period of time, it's gone up 280%. So uh, obviously, uh, the increase in the cases uh, is not caused just by uh, the increase in testing. Let's go to our uh, new data for the day. Um, our second part of the new data, the first is when we rank the counties 1 through 88. This is our uh, map system. And uh, this is the change that you, you're seeing here. And you can see, unfortunately, red is spreading uh, throughout the state. Uh, the virus continues to spread throughout all regions of the state. Uh, today, we have 56 red counties, the highest number of counties that are red since we started the alert system. Uh, this is an increase of 13 from last week's 43. Uh, we have no counties that are purple, uh, no counties that are on the watch list. In addition to our continued record-breaking case numbers, we are also seeing more visits than ever to doctor's offices. Those are early indicators and emergency room visits, people going to the emergency rooms, uh, resulting ultimately in COVID-19 cases. There are also a record number of Ohioans with COVID, as we said, in our hospitals and in ICU. Uh, the impact of COVID-19 is being felt by more and more families. We're seeing this in our weekly advisory system as well. Our 13 new red counties are Ashland County, Champaign, Clinton, Coshocton, Fairfield, Henry, Holmes, Jefferson, Medina, Morrow, Pickaway, Preble, and Sandusky. 
In each of these red, red counties, we're seeing high case numbers that are continuing to increase. Many of these new red counties are seeing sustained increases in visits to the doctor or emergency room for COVID. And some counties are seeing sustained increases in their residents being hospitalized for COVID. I want to take a moment to bring your attention to the two yellow counties in southeastern Ohio, which you'll see down here. And I was on a call this past week, we indicated that um, from one of the yellow counties that people thought that because the county was red, uh, or excuse me, was, was yellow, um, that there was not a problem. Um, it doesn't meet the indicators, but as I said, every county now in Ohio, even these, the two yellow counties, um, they are high incident level rating by the CDC. Uh, last week, Noble and Monroe counties were yellow. This week, Monroe and Morgan are yellow. Uh, what we're seeing in these sparsely populated counties is an increase, significant increase in cases. But because there are so few residents, the data that you would see reflected on our color map uh, jumps around and we don't see a continuous or sustained increase in cases, which is what's necessary for us to, to advance the, the county into the next level, the orange level. Uh, so the data jumps around. We don't see a continuous or sustained increase in cases or healthcare utilization in recent weeks that would flag the indicators in the health alert system. However, if you look at the past month or two, it's clear if you look at these counties that trends in these counties are similar, unfortunately, to the rest of the state. Situation is getting worse, and they cannot let their guard down. If you live in a, red, in, a, in a yellow county, you can't let your guard down there either. Uh, a closer look at this week's map. Uh, the red counties have filled in much of northeast and southwestern Ohio and include urban counties, rural counties, and everything in between. Of the 13 new red counties today, seven have never previously been red. Um, let, me, let me read what those are. These have not been red before. Champaign, Clinton, Coshocton, Holmes, Jefferson, Morrow, Sandusky. This high number of never before red counties is something that we've not seen since the early days of the advisory system. This is yet another sign that the disease is affecting ever more parts of the state of Ohio, parts of the state that previously had been relatively untouched by the virus. Let's look at the next slide, Michael. Here's a look at the percentage of Ohioans living in red counties. And you can see how this has changed over, over time. And you can see today is at, unfortunately, an all-time high. Um, we're now at 86% uh, of Ohioans, of our fellow citizens, who are living in red counties, 80%. 6% of the population of the state is now living in a red county. 100% uh, of the state's high incidence. That means that there are enough cases during the past two weeks to get the high incidence, that the risk of catching this virus in every county is very real and certainly is very concerning. As I mentioned before, our team talks to local health commissioners throughout the week. I talk to them uh, at least once a week on Monday morning. Uh, when we have all the health commissioners on a phone call. 
but they continue to share with us some of the stories and we share them with you really just to kind of give you an indication of where we're seeing the spread. Uh, we're seeing significant community spread in every county. Uh, there's a lot of spread directly in households. So when one person gets the virus, so does the rest of the people who live in the home. Uh, schools are continuing to do a great job. Uh, social gatherings, including weddings and funerals and parties in people's homes, is really where we're seeing much of the spread. Uh, in some cases, <clears throat> uh, the health departments have given us some stories. And let me just r read a couple. Uh, a woman went to a wedding where she uh, contracted COVID. She passed it on to her mother. Her mother is the caregiver for a couple in their 80s. Now the couple in their 80s have it. So you can just see it just passes from one person to another to another. Another example, <clears throat> a group of teachers had a Halloween party with their bubble of people that they usually spend time with. But there was another group of teachers at a party down the street. The group at the second party visited the people in the first party. As a result, there were COVID-positive people in the second group, and now more than 10 teachers are sadly quarantined. Another story. <clears throat> College students hosted a house party that high schoolers attended on October 24th. About 80 people attended. <clears throat> there are now at least five positive cases associated with that party. <clears throat> now I want to announce um, some key additions to our existing team that is fighting the coronavirus and additions to our administrative structure at the Ohio Department of Health. As you can see from the numbers, uh, we are now at a, a critical juncture in our fight against the virus. Cases are spiking all across the state of Ohio. They are at an all-time high. At the same time, the good news is we're closer to getting a vaccine. As someone once said, it's always darkest before the dawn. <clears throat> but the light is coming. Uh, I'm confident of that, and so we need to be ready for that. Um, our game plan is straightforward and remains straightforward. The best way that we can defeat our common enemy is by doing three things. We must stick to the basics, to not endanger ourselves, our families, nor others. That means back to the basics. Wearing masks, maintaining distance, not gathering in groups, especially inside. We almost continue to focus on protecting those that are most vulnerable of getting the virus. And we need to go on the offense with the pending arrival of the vaccine. Now, finding a pandemic demands a multi-faceted response. <clears throat> One that requires us to focus on our short-term needs but also not lose sight of our long-term goals. And so it is very important that as we battle the virus, we continue to build out the Ohio Department of Health because the Ohio Department of Health is the epicenter for this 
and they were really carrying out two separate jobs, related but separate. One is the normal function of the health department, which is so vitally important uh, to the safety of all Ohioans. But the other is fighting the pandemic along with their partners at the local uh, health level. The work of the Ohio Department of Health and the local health departments, the work they both do, working together is vital to the well-being of all Ohioans. We have spoken in the past of the social determinants of health, which include such things as income, education levels, physical and social environments, availability of health care and mental health treatment, and other support networks. Where you live and your zip code many times plays a significant role in the health outcome. That is true for many Ohioans. The Ohio Department of Health is the foundation for our effort to promote a healthy Ohio, working with the local health departments, so that no matter where you live in this state, you have the opportunity to thrive, and that's the goal. Whether it is working on infant mortality issues or maternal mortality issues, well baby vaccines, protecting children from getting sick from lead poisoning, decreasing tobacco use, vaping, or fighting infectious diseases. The Ohio Department of Health is at the core of protecting all of us. <clears throat> and so in these unprecedented times, as the Ohio Department of Health fights the pandemic with its partners at the local level, it's equally essential that we continue to support the department's core mission and work and provide the necessary medical, management, and administrative expertise necessary for the department to run as well as it possibly can. This is a critical time. The good women and men at our Ohio Department of Health have been working nonstop since the beginning of the year to fight the virus, as have their partners at the local level, and I salute all of them. They're dedicated and committed and care passionately about protecting all of us in Ohio. I'm grateful for what each one of you do every single day. I've said before that this is like a sporting event, a football game, basketball game, and we're sort of at halftime. Uh, there's no pause in the action, though, but we're sort of halfway through. Uh, we're preparing to get a vaccine out, we're also dealing with the most serious surge that we have seen thus far in the virus. And so now is the time to bring in reinforcements to the team to go on the offense and to put more players, frankly, out on the field, especially as we prepare for the arrival and distribution of the vaccine. Now is the time in the game where we need to surge in, go back on the field, do everything we can to defeat our opponent. We will win this fight and we will win it together. In the letter that I sent to all Ohioans on Sunday, I said, once the election is over, we've got to refocus our efforts on this virus. This virus doesn't care if we voted for Donald Trump, doesn't care if we voted for Joe Biden, it's coming after all of us. And what we have in common is a desire to keep our kids in school, 
desire to keep our grandparents safe in nursing homes and a desire to keep our hospitals open and functioning so that no matter what the problem is, there's room in the hospitals. These are our common goals that bring us together as Ohioans every single day. Having a physician with medical and scientific expertise at the Ohio Department of Health is vital. And we do have doctors, and we rely on doctors outside and can, have continued to rely on them outside of the Department of Health, going back uh, when Dr. Acton uh, was at the Department of Health and was our health director. So it's been something that we've been very lucky to get a lot of help from some of our great universities, some of our great hospitals in the state of Ohio, and our great doctors. And so I thank them for that. We need to have a key physician, though, at the Department of Health who has a direct line to me and someone who I can rely on every single day. Also someone who can reach out to other medical professionals around the country and gather the best information that is available. Someone who can be the doctor for all Ohioans. So I'm very pleased to announce today that Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, who has been serving for more than a decade as a senior vice president and as a chief medical officer at Ohio Health, has accepted the position of chief medical officer at the Department of Health. <clears throat> Many reasons why I've asked Dr. Vanderhoff to join our team. First and foremost, he has years of real life experiences leading large teams and successfully dealing with important healthcare issues here in Ohio. He prepared Ohio Health to deal with the threat of Ebola and the H1N1 flu pandemic. He has grappled with the pressing healthcare issues affecting the entire state, from rural Appalachia to metropolitan Ohio, doing so in a manner that's both collaborative and effective. Dr. Vanderhoff is both a highly regarded physician and administrator. He received his Doctor of Medicine degree from the University of Pennsylvania, an MBA from Franklin University, and completed a residency in family medicine at York Hospital in York, Pennsylvania. He's become a nationally recognized physician leader with an impressive track record of addressing healthcare disparities and improving healthcare quality and population health outcomes. Under his leadership, Ohio Health has received many national quality recognitions, including top health system rankings. He's a proven consensus builder who has created institutional and community partnerships that have improved healthcare delivery in Ohio, including the establishment of Ohio University's Dublin Medical School Campus, which is a nursing education partnership with Otterbein University, and the Physician Diversity Scholars Program, which is a partnership between Ohio Health and a number of Ohio's medical schools to mentor and support diverse students as they study to become physicians practicing right here in the state of Ohio. Dr. Vanderhoff is deeply committed to community service and is a recipient of the Phillips Medal of Public Service from Ohio University. He's been almost perennially uh, recognized by Becker's Healthcare as one of the nation's top chief medical officers to know. He's been a member of the American Hospital Association Committee on Clinical Leadership, 
which is a select group of recognized national healthcare leaders charged with advising the hospital association on clinical care, delivery involving population health, healthcare disparities, and disaster response. Further, Dr. Vanderhoff is a founding member of the Healthcare Institute's Chief Medical Officer Group, which is a select group of physician leaders from some of the largest and most influential healthcare organizations in the nation. They share best clinical practices and develop strategic approaches to clinical issues, including population health, healthcare disparities, and responding to COVID-19. He is a member of the Vizient, Vizient Large Health System Medical Executive Group. <clears throat> this includes physician leaders from large health systems and academic centers across our country who work to improve healthcare delivery for everyone. And closer to home, he has been a leader in numerous groups dedicated to improving the health outcomes for Ohioans across many age groups and demographics. We're delighted um, he has accepted uh, this position. <clears throat> Equally important is the administration and management of the Department of Health. And so I'm also very pleased to announce today, <clears throat> I'm very pleased to announce today the appointment of Stephanie McLeod to be our new health director. After I was elected, I appointed her to serve as our director of the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, BWC. She has done a phenomenal job managing an agency of 1,800 people and over $28 billion in assets. Director McLeod understands how state government operates, and she knows how to get things done. She's a collaborator. She has the management and administrative expertise we need in these challenging times. She has the experience necessary to lead the department as it carries out its vitally important health functions while at the same time battling this pandemic. The department focuses on the health of the population as a whole what we might consider our macro health issues. And much of that focus is on injury and illness prevention. Director McLeod has many years of experience in the workers' compensation system doing just that. At the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, she has been responsible for the health and safety of Ohio's 5.7 million person workforce. She has worked doggedly to ensure the availability of appropriate and innovative treatment options. She has ensured that health care was delivered to our injured and ill workforce on a macro level. From 2018 to 2019, Director McLeod served as a township trustee, the Truro Township Trustee, where she has overseen the emergency medical services and fire services provided to 28,000 residents, which includes about 7,500 service runs each year. Also, Director McLeod has considerable experience in the area of mental health and addiction treatment, an area that is one of the top three priority health concerns in our state's health improvement plan that comes out of the Department of Health. She has spent over a dozen years on the board of Maryhaven, one of Central Ohio's oldest and most comprehensive behavioral health care providers. Also, she has spent six years on the board for counselors, social workers, and marriage and family therapists, where she dealt with the licensing issues as well as regulating and drafting the rules for Ohio's mental health 
clinicians. Most recently, under Director McLeod's leadership, BWC has engaged in the prevention of substance use disorders through the Substance Use Recovery Program, drug disposal systems, and a tightening of the drug for formulary, including the removal of OxyContin from that. Director McLeod and her team have also worked quickly to support the state's efforts to combat the effects of COVID-19 by one, providing $8 billion in three dividends back to small businesses this year, a total of $8 billion. Uh, second, changing the BWC safety grant process by sending out two rounds of face masks to employers throughout the state. Three, sending team members to support the Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services, the Ohio Department of Aging, and the Ohio Emergency Management Agency. I have a great deal of confidence in Director McLeod. In fact, just this week, an editorial in Crane's Cleveland Business praised BWC as a, quote, fast, aggressive, and decisive in its response to helping employers and workers weather the pandemic. That is due to Director McLeod's great leadership. She is forward-thinking, forward-looking. She knows how to bring people together. She knows how to bring about consensus. Um, she just gets the job done every single day. She'll be leading and driving our response moving forward with the full weight of the rest of the ODH leadership team behind her. <clears throat> the team is critical and remains critical. In addition to Dr. Vanderhoff, Director McLeod, We'll have both Lance Himes and Kathleen Madden on that team. Let me start with Lance Himes. Amazing man. He's done an amazing job. He's been serving as our interim health department director. He'll be taking on a crucial new role as the department's senior deputy. And before I talk about that new role, though, I want to say how very, very grateful we are to Lance for once again uh, coming in and picking up the job as interim director. He's, he's done that before. He's been involved in the COVID response since it began in January, when he was originally serving at that time as the health department senior deputy and chief of staff. He has been absolutely tireless. Uh, he is steadfast and he has resolved to fight the virus and has played an integral role in running and managing not just many aspects of the pandemic operation, but of course the health department as a whole. When I took office in January, 2019, Lance was serving as interim director at that time of the Department of Health. And as you know, in mid-June, Lance assumed that role once again. And that capacity has helped shape our response to the summer surge in cases and led the department as we implemented a number of key initiatives, including the public health advisory system, the continued build out of the ODH website and the expansion of publicly available data. Further, uh, guidance on safe return to school for our kids in K through 12, as well as college, and the safe reopening of our long-term care facilities to visitors, just to name a few. Lance's longtime experience with the department, his knowledge of Ohio's public health laws, and his relationship with local health department leaders have been invaluable in our response to the virus and will be key to our offensive strategy moving forward. He gets it done. A senior deputy, a senior deputy, he will take on two vitally strategic roles. He will lead the coordination of the health department's operation to get a vaccine out to our citizens. And he will continue to work directly with Ohio's local health commissioners around the state. I cannot underscore uh, the importance 
enough of the importance of our partnership with local health, co health commissioners and their teams at the local level. Our local health commissioners have been our boots on the ground as well as their troops. They're fighting every single day, all day, to fight this virus. Our role at the state level is to give them the help and support they need to carry out that grassroots operations every day. Lance Himes knows all of our commissioners. He's worked closely with them steadily throughout the pandemic. His consistent leadership and institutional knowledge of the Ohio Health Department coupled with these invaluable relationships with leaders at the local level will be a critical part of the department's expanded executive leadership team moving forward. Let me move to Kathleen Madden. Rounding out our new executive leadership team at ODH is Kathleen Madden, who has been serving as Assistant Director of the Ohio Office of Budget and Management. She will become Chief of Staff at the Department of Health and will play a key role in keeping programs and operations, both with the pandemic response and other programming at the department, moving and right on track. Kathleen worked for me in the Attorney General's Office, where she was in charge of human resources. She has extensive legal management and fiscal experience. She will play a key role in prioritizing and resolving critical issues, providing oversight and guidance to the department staff and ensuring that funds entrusted to the department are spent responsibly and strategically. Finally, I wanna talk about additional members of our team who have been working tirelessly throughout the pandemic, especially in their efforts to protect vulnerable populations across Ohio. Uh, for months, these individuals have been spending a great deal of their time on the pandemic and on health department issues in addition to their other job. I thank them for that. This effort will continue. First, let me start with a general, Adjutant General of the Ohio National Guard, Major General John Harris, uh, who's done a phenomenal job. He's been leading the pandemic response and the cross-agency coordination of Ohio's pandemic response. He and his team of experienced project managers will continue to work closely with the Department of Health Director to ensure complex operations such as COVID testing, contact tracing, are well-coordinated, monitored, and improved when necessary. Major General Harris is working hand-in-hand -hand with Lance Himes as well in the planning and logistics of the forthcoming vaccine distribution program. <clears throat> Since the start of the COVID emergency, Ursel McElroy, McElroy, our director of the Department of Aging, has worked in collaboration with her agency counterparts to direct virus protection efforts for older adults in the community and in long-term care settings, including nursing homes and assisted living facilities. We've relied on her to design and administer new initiatives that have improved safety and our state's ability to better respond to this emergency. She's done a phenomenal job. While I've asked her to focus on an array of issues, including visitation and testing, Director McElroy will put a laser focus on limiting the spread of the disease in our nursing homes. She'll work closely with new Health Director McLeod and her expert staff to strategically position Ohio to rapidly respond to problems. She will continue to work on the things we know are important. Back to the basics looking at basics, using data, clinical guidance, feedback from residents and families, focusing on PPE, staffing levels, testing, and infection control. Under Director McElroy's leadership, she will continue to keep resident staff and transparency 
at the forefront of our efforts. Also, our Department of Mental Health and Addiction Service Director, Lori Chris, is heading up our efforts to address the increasing mental health needs of our citizens during this pandemic. This is a difficult time for many of our citizens. Her work is critical. The pandemic has increased the existing cry for mental health and substance use services across the nation and certainly in the state of Ohio. We're especially concerned about Ohio's youth and adults living with mental illness and those living with addiction. She and her team, along with the Recovery Ohio team and cabinet directors from key agencies, such as the Ohio Department of Public Safety and ODH, are strategically aligning resources to stop rising overdose and suicide rates. This work builds on the strong foundation of mental health and addiction strategies already at work in Ohio. Using data to inform this work, Director Chris and her team are partnering with local communities to make a difference now and over the long run for the mental health and recovery of Ohioans. As I said in my letter to all of you on Sunday, the stakes in Ohio have never been higher. We have to get this virus under control. We have to tamp it down. We have to keep the flame from going up higher. We have a strong team in place. We're continuing to build on that as this pandemic evolves and changes. With a team of great strength, experience, knowledge, commitment, resolve, and passion, we are on the offense against the virus. Again, in the short term, for all of us though, and every one of us can play a major role. I've talked about our team here, how we're expanding it, what we're doing. But for each and every one of you, what you do, um, that is absolutely crucial. But it is getting back to the basics. For all of us, mask and distancing, protecting our vulnerable populations, including the elderly and those with mental health needs, and going on the offense against the vaccine. In the long run, it's about dedicating the resources and the people to bolstering and building a better, stronger, and more modernized state health department and public health system in Ohio that will benefit all of our citizens. But it's also about what the 11.7 million Ohioans do, what all of you do every single day. I want to now bring in uh, Administrator Stephanie McLeod, who will head up our health department. Uh, Administrator McLeod, thank you for taking the time to be with us. We appreciate it very much. We're excited about having you at the helm of the health department. And I wonder if you could just uh, maybe say a few things about your, your role at the health department. And uh, as I explained to everyone, uh, you've been working on a lot of these health issues um, for some time now, uh, for the last several months. And since I asked you to start doing that, we appreciate that work. Now you're going to head the agency up. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Thank you. Good afternoon, Governor, and thank you for that very kind introduction. Uh, you're correct. It, our team at BWC, just like many others across the state, has been helping our sister state agencies, our employers and employees, wherever we can. Uh, many times during this pandemic, Governor, you have asked us all to step up where we can, and I am so honored to be able to help. 
I look forward to joining the pandemic team already on the field. Those folks are working tirelessly and I look forward to helping them in any way that I can. There are many challenges, there is no doubt we are heading into a tough chapter. But as the governor has said, we are all in this together and we will beat this virus by working together. Uh, I look forward to uh, accepting those challenges and hopefully uh, helping Ohioans every way that we can. Thank you, Governor. Director, thank you very, very much. Uh, let me go now to Dr. Vanderhoff. Doctor, we're, we're also thrilled uh, to have you as Chief Medical Officer and just wanna uh, give you the kind of the opportunity to uh, say hello to everyone and um, tell us what kind of your vision for your, your new role. You've got a long, long career and uh, tell us about this new role. Well, thank you, Governor. Uh, let me first say it's a tremendous honor to serve you and the people of Ohio in this capacity, especially because Ohio is my home. It's where my wife and I have raised our family. It's where I've spent nearly all of my medical career. I look forward, therefore, to serving you and our state because I'm confident that together we really can overcome COVID-19 and then move on to work to make Ohio one of the healthiest states in the entire nation. Now, I, I'd like us to remember that we know both from experience and extensive research that we can all help reduce the spread of this virus by doing the things that you've underlined, Governor, masking, keeping our distance, washing our hands, protecting vulnerable populations. You know, much of it is really similar to what our mothers taught us to do during cold and flu season when we were young. And I'll add, that we certainly are looking forward to the arrival of safe vaccines and making those available to those who choose it in our state. And finally, I'd point to one of Ohio's great strengths, which is we have some of the best hospitals, health systems, and medical providers in the entire country. But we right now are going to have to do our part to support them in their outstanding work so they don't become overwhelmed. Well, doctor, thank you very, very much. Um, what the public does not know, nor the press corps, is that you and I have uh, talked quite often during this yes. pandemic. I've appreciated your uh, your advice on the phone, and uh, now I'll have the opportunity to talk with you uh, a, a lot more. And uh, you know, you'll probably get sick of hearing my call, but uh, we we appreciate that. Uh, you've given us really some valuable advice as we move forward, and. Uh, we're glad to, glad to have you on board. Thank you, Governor. Very much. Let's go to um, Interim Director Lance Himes for a moment. Uh, and uh, Director Himes, t tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of your your new role. Uh, you've been doing some, uh, you, you and I talk, uh, you know, many times each day, and I'm sure that's going to continue. But uh, if you could just kind of tell us about, some of the new, your, your new role and uh, how you see that in the health department. Yes, thank you, Governor DeWine. And <clears throat> certainly I'm very looking forward to, to this new role and working with the great team that you've assembled. So we appreciate the um, extra players on the field. Um, so I will be focusing on um, coordinating our pandemic response, um, especially related to vaccine distribution, working with um, General Harris and the rest of the team so looking forward to doing that. And also one key piece of it is working closely with our local health departments. 
we have 113 local health departments um, who are leaders in their community and conveners of their other community partners. And they're gonna be critical um, in when we see the vaccine uh, yet this year to making sure that their communities are educated on uh, the vaccine, but also to ensuring access to that vac vaccine, whether it's through uh, vaccine clinics um, or through other community providers. So I'll be working very closely with our local health partners to, to make sure we're ready uh, to help Ohioans um, with the vaccine when it arrives. Well, I can, I can say that from being on these calls week after week with you and the health uh, commissioners around the state, they know you well, uh, you know them well. And that, that relationship is a, is a very, very great asset for us um, because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the services get delivered. This is where the tracing is, is being done. This is where, um, you know, the work out in the field is so very, very important. So uh, we, we look forward to uh, continuing that great, that great work, and we appreciate it very, very much. Let me, uh, let me go to the Lieutenant Governor for a few comments, and then we'll go to questions. Thanks, Governor. Uh, great to, great to uh, I love the sports metaphor. We're going to play offense. Uh, we've got an expanded team. Uh, this is a great team uh, with energy ideas and the ability to execute on them, and, and uh, I'm excited. I know that Dr. Uh, Bruce Vanderhoff, I've, I know a lot of his colleagues. Uh, there isn't a person who doesn't say great things about him, about his, uh, his, his approach, his demeanor, and his, and his uh, skills and understanding, and so we're, we're excited to have him. Uh, everybody in state government knows uh, what a great administrator Stephanie McLeod has been at the BWC uh, at the time when, when we need that uh, uh, for all of the things we're trying to accomplish at the Department of Health. Uh, she is a, a welcome addition. And Lance Himes, I can't say enough, thing, enough great things about Lance. He has been a source of stability at the Department of Health, a wealth of knowledge. And as we head into the vaccine stage, uh, Lance, uh, Lance is going to do a great job serving the people of Ohio. And I won't go on about the, the rest of the team. They've been around. You've said you've, you've made it known about what their skills are. But look, we're just going to stay the course. We're going to protect the vulnerable. We're going to get the vaccine going. Um, and, and there's a reason. Uh, I mean, there's a reason for hope at the end of this, and and this team certainly adds uh, adds to our ability to bring that home. Uh, two two quick things that I want to make aware on the economic side: uh, business relief grants. Uh, on Monday, people were begin or were able to apply for those. Businesses were, as of this morning, uh, twenty four thousand six hundred seven businesses submitted applications, uh, and we have them from all eighty eight counties. Uh, there's going to be $125 million uh, provided in $10,000 grants. That will be $12,500 or 12,500 businesses that will be eligible for those. Uh, we know that uh, early on we had a few technical challenges there, uh, but we worked through them. Everybody got their, their uh, um, applications submitted to the Development Services Agency, and they will begin this week to make to make businesses aware if they qualify for those grants. So, for, so if you applied, know that uh, the Development Services Agency will begin notifying you uh, of that uh, of those grant awards this week. Uh, another thing, we've mentioned it. Governor's mentioned it. We're doing calls 
with county leadership, uh, mayors, county commissioners, business leaders from around the state. One of the things that came up that we want to take the opportunity today to clarify is that uh, in some cases, uh, people are finding out that they've been quarantined uh, and they may either not have health coverage from their employer or they may have already exhausted their, uh, their um, health leave that is being made available to them. Uh, and they find out they're quarantined. One of the things that is important to know, you are eligible for unemployment compensation for that time period you're out, if your employer has ordered you out or if the local health department has ordered you out. Uh, so we want people to know that as they're doing the right thing, as they're quarantined, they are eligible for unemployment compensation. If you fit one of those categories, uh, you can find out more information at unemployment.ohio.gov. We don't want people working when they shouldn't be there. Uh, if you've so if you find yourself in that situation, know that there are unemployment compensation benefits, that you're eligible for unemployment compensation benefits, and we want to make sure that you have access to those. So, Governor, a couple quick updates there, and we can uh, turn it back to you for questions. Great. Let's go to questions. Governor, first question today is from John London at WLWT in Cincinnati. Hey, John. Hi, Governor. The, uh, the number of cases are now almost five times uh, what they were not long ago, 13,000 in the last three days. And you told um, Armali Larry yesterday, you're not going to cry wolf and say there's an emergency uh, when there's not, but that the trend lines are not good. You got 2,075 in the hospital now. Can you quantify for us when you hit emergency? And given the rule spread, if you must eventually issue an order, would it be statewide or would it be piecemealed by region? Well, John, I don't really know. Uh, we've tried to do everything uniform, um, and we have done that pretty much. The spread now, as you saw from the data, is throughout the state. So there's, there, there's, there's no place where this virus isn't at a high level. And that's a shocking thought, but there's no place where this virus is not at a high level. So in all likelihood, when we start seeing our hospitals fill up. It's not just going to be one place or two places. It's going to be happening all over the state of Ohio. Now, it may be, you know, off by some days. It may hit here one day and then five days later hit somewhere else. So in all likelihood, you know, the, the orders that we will have to implement when it really gets dire um, will be uniform throughout the state of Ohio. Next question is from Jen Smola at the Columbus Dispatch. Hi, Governor. Um, we're seeing in line with other state trends that cases among uh, long-term care facility residents and staff are increasing as well. Um, staff, it looks like record number of cases this week and among residents, um, they're approaching records as well. Um, can you share at all what state officials are looking at in those facilities and with our most vulnerable? and what measures, if any, are being considered to help address um, the, the surge in those areas? Sure, a ab absolutely. First, your, your observation is absolutely correct. Uh, this is, should not be a surprise. When we see spread in community, that spread ends up in nursing homes. Uh, the more spread there is, the more likely it is. So it goes back to what I've said to, to anybody out there who's watching this, 
who doesn't think them getting COVID matters. It's just about me. It's not about you because when you get it, you can spread it. And many times you get it and you don't even know it, you spread it. And the more it spreads in the community, the more likely it is that it gets into a nursing home. So the way we protect our grandparents and our great grandparents, who's our loved ones who are in nursing homes is to slow the spread down. So Jen, you're absolutely right about what's going on. Cases are increasing, spread is going up, cases are, are going in much faster rate into our nursing homes. Um, so what are we doing? Uh, we are surging in a, a lot more testing. Uh, we are using both the antigen tests that we got from the White House. We are also using uh, traditional PCR tests. We're uh, alternating, alternating them. Uh, we are also uh, looking at or doing a surge and so we're picking up the CDC the, or the guidelines from the White House in regard to testing, uh, which are very extensive guidelines. We're following those uh, on, a, on a personnel basis. Uh, I've told our team that and this is the most important thing we can do is protect lives. And so we must protect our most vulnerable. And some of our most vulnerable are those who are living in, in nursing homes. Uh, I also, and Ursel McElroy uh, has given, been given an enhanced role uh, in, in regard to this, and, and she knows, she and I have talked about this almost every day, about how very important this is, and she feel, feels passionately about it as well. And so we're going to continue to work with our nursing home homes uh, in, in regard to that, and we'll have more, more information coming. But when we talk about our most vulnerable, when we get the vaccine, it doesn't help us now, but when we get the vaccine, it's going to go into the nursing homes for those staff members. We will start with the staff members because that's where we can put basically a, a, a wall around our uh, most vulnerable people. So we start with the staff members, then we go in and, and you know do those. Once we get more, then we go in and do the people who are in the, in the nursing homes themselves, who are the residents of the nursing home. Um, but, you know, we have vulnerable people out there. And it's not just those in nursing homes. And I want everyone to remember this. You know, when you have, if you pick this virus up, and if you're living in a multi-generational family, if you've got grandmother living with you, then you've got to be exceedingly careful uh, about that. We have a number of children in Ohio, students, who are living with their grandparents, uh, some 50, 60, 70 years old. And so, again, we worry about that. So it's that vulnerable population that, you know, we're going to continue to, to focus on as we, you know, work to drive down spread in, in the community. Thank you. Next question is from Susan Kratzer at Hannah News Service. Hi, Governor. Um, I was just wondering, do you have any concerns that uh, the executive team or, or just your new ODH director will face the same kind of criticism that uh, Dr. Atkinson. Thank you. Yeah, you're breaking up. I think I think the question, and correct me if, if I didn't get it right, it, their new health director uh, will receive some of the same criticism that Dr. Acton received. And was that was that the question? Uh, yes. Thank you. Sure. Uh, uh, she will receive it. <laughs> I can guarantee you. <laughs> you know, this is not going to criticism is not going to stop. And uh, you know, this is this is part of uh, part of uh, her life now, and uh, part of uh, you know what we have to deal with. But um, 
she's she's up to the challenge. Next question is from Adrian Robbins at WCMH in Columbus. Hi, Governor. Thank you for being here. Um, over the past few weeks, we've seen cases rising, and people have consistently wondered if you put some sort of new closure constraint on Ohio. You've said that people just need to do the basics. Now we're consistently seeing record-breaking cases, and it doesn't seem like people are changing their behavior. At what point do you plan to step in? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. We've learned a lot during this pandemic. Uh, one of the things that we've learned is that masks really work. One of the ways we know that is because we're watching what's happening in our schools. It's not that we don't have virus in our schools, we do. But by and large, it is not being spread in the classroom. And the reason it's not being spread in the classroom is because students are wearing a mask. Generally, uh, in regard to business, uh, most businesses are doing a good job and requiring all employees to wear masks. That's good. Um, and that's very, very important. So it does still come down to so much of this is personal responsibility. And so much of this is areas where the government cannot really impact what people do. I read you some of the examples. People decide to have a party and they're in, a, in their own little group, and that's fine. Then you've got another party that comes over, people who are not in that group, and then they're mixing. And so, you know, you, you see that. that. A lot of these areas are not things that we have the ability to control. But um, so, so much of this comes down. The most power is not in my hands. The most power is in the hands of every citizen in the state of Ohio. And that's why as this spreads, and as you start seeing friends who get sick, and as you start seeing friends who are in the hospital. I talked to a friend of mine, had no idea, uh, from, across the state, and had no idea that he had the virus. And I talked to him last night. He's not in the hospital, but not feeling too good. Um, so each one of us, uh, Fran and I have had at least two uh, close friends who have died. Uh, of the COVID. So as it starts to impact more and more people, particularly in our rural areas that have been spared, I do believe that people will understand the urgency of this and that we will start seeing more wearing of masks and more distancing and more smart decisions uh, being made. But there are some things that, you know, we're looking at doing, I'm not going to talk about them today, uh, but we'll have those in the not too distant future. We're going to do what we can do wherever we can have, make an impact, because the number one threat, not only to lives in the state of Ohio, but the number one threat to people working, being able to support their family, economy moving forward, is this virus. This virus is starting to flare up and is flaring up. We've got to push it down. If we don't push it down, people will lose confidence uh, in their ability to go out, they'll lose confidence in ability to go to stores, to get groceries, uh, to go to restaurants. And when that happens, it doesn't matter what I order, people stop going. And so if, if we want to continue uh, to try to live through this pandemic and live with this virus for the next few months, we have got to um, be wearing masks and being more careful. But I will have other things coming shortly. 
Next question is from Dan DeRose at WOIO in Cleveland. Good afternoon, Governor. How are you today? Dan, I'm good. Governor, I remember quite a few months back uh, when businesses opened back up uh, and clubs and bars and restaurants. And every once in a while, you would give us one of the anecdotes uh, about maybe an Eagle's Lodge or an Elk's Lodge that had an outbreak. Uh, recently, the only uh, scenarios you give us are uh, uh, weddings, funerals, today's Halloween party um, uh, analogy. Are you protecting businesses and therefore protecting the economy by not giving us if there's been an outbreak at a bar or restaurant, or is it not happening? It, it seems illogical to think that we haven't had an outbreak or a spread in any bar or restaurant. Well, for, first of all, thank you for the question. The answer is no, I'm not. Um, I think people should know by now. I call it like I see it, and whether people like it or not. Uh, but I, I'm reporting what our health directors are telling us. Now, you mentioned fraternal lodges. We've seen some horrible cases come out uh, of, of fraternal lodges. Uh, we've had a situation where the local health department asked some lodges to literally shut down. So, no. And I, th I thought we had talked about that, but I may maybe I didn't. But uh, so we've definitely seen some cases like that. Um, we are citing, and we publish it every week, when our agents are out and go into a bar and people are intermixing too closely and the, the distancing is not being observed, we cite those bars. And so you can look at those bars that have been cited uh, and give you a pretty good indication of a place where in all likelihood um, you're seeing spread. Now, um, we, we do have bar cases and we do have restaurant cases. But what's happening is as we move forward and as you see this the map that we had up here a few minutes ago just turned red all over and we're seeing all high incidence counties not a not a one not high incidence we're seeing many times where the local contact tracers people who are on the phone when somebody gets sick and the person really doesn't know where they got it and that's that's a function of very widespread covid in the local community and so we're having more and more cases where they can't, can't, you know, there are eight places. And so the, so the contact tracer will list eight different places down there, but the person doesn't know really where they get it. Now, when you see where you can tell where it is, is the big spreaders, where you see the big spreads. Then you can kind of reverse engineer and, and do the detective work and go back and see that. And so the big spreaders, sort of by their nature, I guess, have been big events like weddings and, and, and funerals. Um, where we've seen the big spread. But uh, I'll, we'll go back and, uh, you know, my, my team's watching this, so we'll go back and we'll, we'll look and see how, you know, what we're seeing. But, but many times that person might be at a bar one night. They might be playing cards with their friends the next night. They may be at work during the day. And so you got seven or eight different choices, and you don't know, you know, that that contact tracer at the local level just can't figure out and nor can that person figure out where they really got it and you hear more and more of that my friend who i was talking to the other day said i have no idea where i got it we've been very careful but i don't i don't have a clue really where i got it for sure i got guesses but i'm not sure john yeah governor i i would say that for example we know that the, the health the health department in muskingum county had issues with uh, fraternal fraternal organizations where they saw the spread 
They went to the fraternal organizations. They asked them to close down uh, temporarily, and they did. So a lot of times we get, a, get very good cooperation when those kinds of things happen. And I think the, the reason that we point this out is because in businesses, there is a mask requirement. In most settings that we're talking about schools where the mask requirement is in place and we see people following it, we tend not to see the problems that we see in the informal settings when people let their guard down and they don't wear the masks, they don't practice the social distancing. And it's not that it doesn't have happen in business, but the spread and the and the problem where we have, look, we don't have a way to touch people in their personal lives, uh, at their homes, uh, in their in their family or friend settings, other than for them to take ownership of it. And that's why we emphasize that because they, that's not something where we can impose a mask mandate on them. They have to, they have to take this own it, exercise that personal responsibility and accountability to help us get this back under control. Next question is from Laura Queso at WKYC in Cleveland. Hi, Governor. Thanks so much. I'm just expanding on another question. You know, I understand that you're saying that Masks work. Uh, the power isn't your, in your hands. But, you know, we all know there are cities across the country pulling back, considering closing businesses, imposing curfews, just any changes to make, uh, at, you know, the spike stop. Why not now in Ohio? You know, why not mention or at least give us some uh, information about what we could see, you know, next week or in the next few days with almost 5,000 cases a day? Anything you can tell us about what's next? No, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at this and the parts that things that we can control, you know, we have done. We have put a mask order on in schools. Therefore, we're not seeing it much spread in schools. We put a mask order on in business. Those businesses that comply, most do, we're not seeing much spread. Time after time, you know, when you delve into it, you see that the spread is occurring outside of the business and outside of the school. So in the areas that we have been able to put a mask order on and actually enforce it, we have been able to see great results. Where we put a mask order on and, and we have difficulty enforcing it, uh, we are not seeing the, the same results. And so we're, we're, we're examining that and trying to see, okay, what else can we do to enforce mask orders? What else can we do to impact people in their private lives? But again, when you get into people's private lives, you have decisions that are made by people uh, using their judgment, using their free will. And, you know, my obligation, principal obligation is to make sure everybody in Ohio, to the best of my ability, and we do it through advertising, we do it through this press conference, we do it any way I can. Uh, everybody in Ohio understands the gravity of what we are seeing. You know, several weeks ago, I flew around the state. It was in every, virtually every media market to talk directly to the people. So giving them that information, uh, the information that we're putting out today, uh, anybody who looks at it should be scared to death about it. This should scare you that you have this much spread in your hometown because there's nobody's hometown that doesn't have this spread. So... Again, part of my job is to let people know exactly where, where we are. Let's hopefully, we hope that citizens will take that information and understand the gravity of what they are seeing. This has never gone up, you know, this fast. It is just 
skyrocketed from a thousand cases to close to you know five thousand cases. So it's, uh, but but again, it comes back to people's individual decisions that we can't a lot of, a lot of this we can't micromanage and we can't control, but the public can, people can. Next question is from Jeff Reddick at WSYX in Columbus. Governor, uh, two quick things. First off, I think about four questions ago, you were talking about possibility of issuing orders. You said, but I will have other things coming shortly. Could you expand on that? No. Second, okay. <laughs> no, but you can ask the other question. So. <laughs> uh, second, um, the new uh, administrative lead of uh, Ohio Department of Health, just for, from a forward-facing aspect, um, what are Ohioans going to see? You know, is Bruce Vanderhoff going to address people like Amy Acton did? Who's got your ear of, of kind of the two chiefs there? Is uh, Stephanie McLeod more of a budget side person? How does that all work? No, they both have my ear. They're both intimately involved in what we do. Stephanie has been intimately involved for some time in what we're doing in this pandemic effort. Um, she's been involved at least for two months uh, on, on our, in our meetings, conference calls. Uh, she's been carrying two jobs and now she's just going to focus on the one job and I'm very happy to have her. Uh, she's a phenomenal administrator. So much of what this pandemic response is, is logistics carrying it out. That's why we've got, you know, one of the reasons we've got General Harris so much involved in the National Guard. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of balls in the air, a lot of moving parts and particularly and that will increase when we go to the to the uh, dis distribution uh, of the vaccine. Uh, as far as uh, Dr. Vanderhoff, um, uh, look, he's someone I trust, someone who's been our advisor before. Um, it's going to be great to have him always on the calls. Uh, it's going to be great to have him at the, every meeting. Uh, he's going to be chief chief medical advisor for me as, as we move forward. Next question is from Jackie Borchert at the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh, good afternoon, Governor. Um, your, pre uh, your predecessor chose a non-position to lead the health department. You had said it was important to you to have a doctor in that role, and now it seems like we're going back to the kind of hybrid model. Do you regret your first approach, and if not, why why change it up now? Well, we're at a different stage. Um, this is the most dangerous stage we are. Uh, we've been at. Uh, during this pandemic. And, you know, I need a person who can focus on administration, making things run, uh, getting vaccine out, but doing all the other things that need to be done. Uh, making sure that we've got the personnel at the local level, making sure we got the personnel at the state level. Uh, so in Stephanie McLeod, uh, I have someone who I have a great deal of confidence in. I've known her for many years. Uh, she's a superb administrator. Uh, she will do what needs to be done every single day. And uh, working for me is not easy, uh, as anybody can tell you. Uh, we're very focused on getting results. Uh, she'll get the results. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Vanderhoff, uh, again, you know, he's going to be my chief advisor on medical issues. Uh, and he's going to be with me uh, every step of the way. So I think it's a great team. And we were purposeful today to tell you about some of the other senior team members uh, because they are very important. Uh, and they play an integral part in, in what we do every single day and what we're going to do going forward. 
So I think it's a good team. I think it's the right combination. Uh, we've been careful uh, in regard to who we selected for this job, these two jobs, um, and we're very happy with, with where we are. Um, I'm trying to think, John Houston, of a good sports analogy, but, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a baseball guy, and so it's, you know, mid-season, mid and uh, you bring in, uh, you get another pitcher, you add another pitcher, and you add another catcher, or you add another outfielder, and, you know, position player or something, and, you know, we're pouring really good people into this team. So uh, people who have been there so far have done a phenomenal job, but it's time to uh, step it up even more, and that's what we're doing. A quick follow-up. Um, do either of sure. them have infectious disease experience? We'll have to ask him uh, what his in infectious disease experience. Uh, doctor, are you still on there? I sure am. Well, at Ohio Health, as you can imagine, uh, all the uh, infectious disease work it reports up to me, and I work very, very closely with our ID specialists. Uh, I am very, very confident not only in my ability to connect with the infectious disease experts around the state of Ohio, but also around the nation. Uh, and my, my own medical background means that uh, I feel very comfortable in interpreting not only their guidance, but also the medical literature. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next question is from Ben Schwartz at WCPO in Cincinnati. Hey, Ben. Hi, Governor. Um, can you speak about how Ohio did on Tuesday in terms of keeping voters safe from COVID-19? Do you believe the state kept election day in-person voters as safe as possible? Thank you. Well, thank, yeah, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Uh, something I was going to say and, 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 and neglected to say, uh, and that is, um, I think Ohio's election was run exceedingly well. Um, Frank LaRose, as Secretary of State, is in a long tradition of Republican and Democrat Secretaries of State who have done exceedingly well and run the state elections very, very well. But we also must mention that this is done on a bipartisan way, uh, and it's done at the county level with the county boards of elections, Democrats and Republicans, and then it's done down at the precinct level. So to every person who worked the polls, um, to make sure that votes were counted correctly, that were, everything happened, that people knew where to go uh, so that they were safe, uh, they were recorded cor correctly, uh, and that they were protected. Thank you. Uh, as governor of Ohio, I am very grateful for what each and every one of you did. It was a long day, I'm sure, but uh, I think you did a phenomenal job. I think Ohio did a phenomenal job under very difficult circumstances because of during the pandemic. Next question is from Laura Hancock at cleveland.com. Good afternoon, Governor. I was just wondering, um, with the um, President Trump, he's claiming that he won Pennsylvania and he has won the overall election before all the votes have been counted. What is your take on this? Well, <laughs> I think it's important uh, and these are, you know, kind of tension-filled days, I think, for people, not only because of the pandemic, but because we, whenever you have uncertainty, um, there's some extra tension. 
Um, and the uncertainty, of course, is in regard to the presidential campaign or the election. But I think it's important for us as Ohioans and Americans to remember that we've done this before. Uh, we've done this for over 200 years. Uh, we've done it better than about anybody or maybe anybody throughout the history of, of mankind. Uh, we do it exceedingly well. Uh, we have, if there's transition of power, we do that well. And we have a long tradition of counting all the votes. We have a long tradition of respect for the law. So the votes are continuing to be counted. I'm happy that, uh, you know, we're not seeing uh, Ohio spotlighted is, is still counting, you know, a whole bunch of votes. But those votes are getting counted in these other states. People are doing the best job that they can as, as, as they count these votes. At the same time, uh, we should not be upset uh, that a candidate decides to file a lawsuit. Every presidential campaign that I've been associated with um, in Ohio has had lawyers on the ready to file a lawsuit, and the other side has as well. So the fact that a lawsuit is filed, we just need to you know, say that, hey, that let's, let's trust the system. Let's trust the courts. Let's trust the, the process that we've had over 200 years of building up and, and following. So I have great confidence this is all going to work. We're going to have a winner. We're going to have someone who's going to become the next president of the United States. And I just think it is important for us to respect both sides uh, and, and to understand that after this is over with, the counting's done, after somebody is, uh, you know, is, is the president, then we will, we will move on. And uh, for Ohioans, my particular plea is, you know, once this is over with and we're focused on that, let's get back to focusing on, you know, what we have to and, and getting down the, get this virus down and being able to, um, you know, live with this virus until we get, until we get the vaccine, but live with it in a, in a safe way. Next question is from Kevin Landers at WBNS. Good afternoon, Governor. Um, both you and uh, Lance Himes today both talked about a vaccine is coming. Can you give us any, any indication if you've been told uh, whether that vaccine will come before the end of this year? And secondly, a month ago, Ohio's r not number was less than one. Today, it's 1.21. Rhode Island has the exact same r not number as we do, and the governor there has reduced the limit on social gatherings to 10 people, instructed hospitals and nursing homes to scale back visitations, banned spectators from sporting events for two weeks, and shut down indoor athletic facilities for one week. Are any of those options that Rhode Island has done on your table or off the table? Can you give us any we, indication? Yeah, look, we already, we already have a limit at 10 people. We already have a, state, a statewide mask order. Um, so we have those two things that have, that have been in place and, and remain in, in place. Um, you know, look, we're constantly reviewing what we need to do. Um, nothing is off the table. I mean, make it very clear. Nothing is off the table. Uh, you know, I am as concerned as anybody is in the state about what we're seeing. Um, and, but we want to be you know, surgical in what we're doing so that we know what we're doing does have, does have an impact. We also know that it, when you start moving to shutdowns, 
that there are other ramifications and there are other downsides. And what I found as governor throughout this pandemic is that there are uh, very rarely do you have a choice that's good, bad. That's pretty easy. You don't have that. What you have is bad and worse. And then you got to figure out which is which. So, you know, anytime you start shutting things down, I'm not, I'm not saying I won't do that, but, you know, there are consequences. There are mental health consequences. There are economic consequences. Schools, for example, you know, look, at the beginning of this, we did not understand the, that masks would be so powerful. And we didn't even fully understand it when school started back. I mean, we, we had a pretty good idea. But now we've got really pretty, what, what would appear to be pretty strong evidence that there's not much spread directly in school. And so normally you'd say, well, shut down schools. Well, but we're not seeing that much spread in schools. We're seeing in informal contacts, which are much more difficult to regulate. Uh, but again, more is coming and uh, we'll have more conversations about this. But the most important thing, the people who have the most control, who have the ability to, to shut this thing down are the people of the state of Ohio. And, um, you know, I just hope as they see these numbers spike uh, that there's going to be a more realization of what needs to be done. And I, I believe from talking to some of the health commissioners that we're starting to see that, particularly in our rural counties that have been untouched before now but are really being hit now. Just as a follow-up. Next question from Andrew Welsh Huggins at the Associated Press. Hi, Governor. Andrew? Uh, I wanted to ask about the um, the election results in Ohio, uh, sort of as they relate to the coronavirus, especially given uh, today's record-breaking negative statistics. Um, so given President Trump's solid victory in Ohio and given how much, objectively speaking, the two of you have taken different approaches to battling the pandemic when it comes to things like mask wearing and social distancing. Um, to what degree could the results be interpreted, again, given all these record high numbers, as a repudiation by Ohioans of you and the approach you've taken and the requests you've made as governor? Well, that would be kind of interesting since I not only endorsed the president, but I was co-chair. Uh, so, you know, it would be kind of strange for someone to walk in and say, I'm going to repudiate Mike DeWine by voting for Donald Trump. I'm sure there some people maybe had that in their mind, but uh, it, it just doesn't, to me, sound like it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, look, I, I've been asked before, I was asked earlier today in a public forum, uh, why, you know, why did Trump do so well in Ohio? And this is just one person's take on it. Uh, I think that people, uh, you know, Voted for Donald Trump. Um, they may not have liked his tweets and other things, but in the end, they felt he, he had their back. They felt that he would do battle for them, that he was a fighter. My experience in a few decades in Ohio politics has been that Ohioans like a fighter. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Democrat or Republican many times. I used the example this morning of Howard Messenbaum. Howard Messenbaum and, and Donald Trump probably pretty far apart on a lot of issues. A Democrat versus a Republican. But Messenbaum was successful in Ohio. Senator Messenbaum was successful in Ohio because people looked at him as a fighter. 
first and foremost. And they felt that he had their back and that he was fighting against forces uh, that no one else was fighting. And I think there's sort of that feeling in regard to Donald Trump. That's how I would, you know, if I had to uh, describe why I think he won by eight percentage points in Ohio and basically duplicated what he did four years ago. Um, that's that's what I would say. Governor, next question is the last question for today, and it belongs to Andy Chow of Ohio Public Radio and Television. Hi, Governor. Hey, Andy. Uh, when it comes to these informal gatherings, uh, you've been asking for people to stop doing this for a while now, and it just doesn't really seem to be taking. Have you considered maybe a new approach or a new strategy to handling these gatherings, maybe just increasing public awareness of, hey, if you're going to do this, this is how you can do it safely. Maybe just a, a pivot in some way to get people to, yep. if, if they're not going to abstain from gathering, then some sort of way to get them to do it in a safe way. Yes, that's, that's very good. Uh, I think it's spot on. Uh, you know, we're going to come out with some lists of things. Here's how you do certain things. Um, and we don't want to be presumptuous getting people's lives. But I, I think people need to know you know, how they can do it a lot safer. And it, it does come back to something I have said before, uh, and that is that um, we can do most of the things we've always done. Um, we just have to do them differently. And I've used the example of Fran and I going over and seeing our, grand, our grandkids. We just do it differently. We still see them. And I, and I think that, you know, it's not either or it's not shut the thing off completely. It's figuring out how to do it. And by and large, the wearing of a mask more dramatically changes your odds and it dramatically improves your odds. And when you and the other person are wearing those, that mask, you've really upped your odds or, or you've, you've made it a lot more likely that, you know, even if that person might be having the virus or you might have the virus, that there will not, will not be the spread. But I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, we're working on some kind of lists of how, uh, how you do this, you know, my maybe how you do Thanksgiving, how you do this. And again, we're not trying to tell people how to live, but, but again, I think people need to know that, you know, if you're going to do this, do this, okay, your, your call, but wearing a mask, doing this, doing that, et cetera. I mean, we know, for example, being outside. Uh, you know, Fran and I, when we've been with family, we try to do it outside. Uh, and as much as we can outside, now it's going to get colder and that, that will end at some point. But doing things outside we know is so much safer. So we need to take the knowledge that we've acquired uh, collectively, all of us, during the last few months and then uh, use that as we make decisions as we, as we move forward. Uh, so, um, Andy, thank you very much. And uh, I guess Dan says that's the last question. I look forward to seeing you all next time. We're, our next scheduled uh, time is Tuesday. Uh, it's possible we might do something before then. Uh, but if not, we will see you all on Tuesday. Thank you.